0: Going to look tonight at the Book of Jeremiah. I believe, as far as word count goes, it's the longest book in the Bible. Not the many, not the most chapters, but the most words. So, Book of Jeremiah. Going to read verse chapter thirty-one, verse thirty-three, and I actually read it for our cult to worship as well, so you won't forget it tonight. Just one verse, chapter thirty-one, verse thirty-three. This is what God's word says. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is God's word for us tonight. Let's pray before we study it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself um, and everything we we need to know for salvation in your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to study it freely tonight in the warmth of this building. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What occurred to me this week, that you're hard-pressed in Scripture to find an example of God sending a prophet to his people for the purpose of patting them on the back and saying, you're doing well, keep it up. Throughout Scripture, when a prophet comes, quite often it's because there's, there's a problem. When a prophet comes, it's most often to bring a word of rebuke, correction, warning, or judgment. It's no different with the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah ministered in the southern kingdom of Judah about 100 years after the prophet Isaiah. We looked at the prophet Isaiah's ministry last week, but the prophet Jeremiah was about 100 years after, and he prophesied specifically during the reigns of Jehoah, Josiah, excuse me, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoachin, and Zedekiah. Only three of those kings had any uh, significance to their tenure as king, Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. The other two lasted less than a year. But anyway, the significance of these five kings is that they were the last five kings of Judah before her people were carried off to Babylon in exile. The northern kingdom of Israel has already by now been conquered by the Assyrians, and now Jeremiah prophesies in the days leading up to and after the southern kingdom of Judah being conquered in the year 586 B.C. Let me say a word about the situation in Judah during the days of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah began his prophetic ministry during the days of King Josiah. And you might remember that King Josiah was a relatively good king. He instituted reforms in the land. He rediscovered the book of the law. Really, there was a little bit of a revival in Judah during his day. More than that, there was also, there was also kind of a lull on the international scene. Assyria was once the, the world superpower there of the region, was in decline, was no longer a threat as they once were. And although Egypt and Babylon were on their way up and would soon pose a threat and kind of be rivals with one another, neither of those kingdoms were quite to that point yet in the days of Josiah. So both religiously and politically, things were relatively quiet while Josiah was king. But it was short-lived because after Josiah's death, his his two sons preceded him as king, first Jehoiakim and then Zedekiah. And during their reigns, life in Judah was characterized by moral decay and a return to worshiping other gods. Jeremiah 1.16 sums up the situation well. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. And then beginning at chapter 2, verse 5, God is speaking through Jeremiah, "'What fault did your fathers find in me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness?' through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal following worthless idols. That about sums up the situation in Judah during much of Jeremiah's day. It wasn't pretty. Now, who was Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah, Jeremiah was simply the man who was called to be the voice of God in Judah during this time. We see that in chapter 1. Chapter one nine. this is the call of Jeremiah. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, now I have put my words in your mouth. That's his call. Jeremiah is the man called to bring the word of the Lord to the people of Judah at this time. As such then, he is the one who must call God's people to repent of their sin in order that they might avoid judgment. We see him doing this in chapter 7 verse 3. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Okay, that's Jeremiah speaking to the people, the word of the Lord. Reform your ways and your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. It was also his job to announce that God had handed down his sentence upon them. And there's sort of a progression here. At first, he's calling them to repent so that God's judgment doesn't come upon them. And then he sort of gets to the point where he's like, listen, you haven't repented. The chance for repentance is gone. Now God's judgment is coming. And so he, he, he announces that God has handed down the sentence, that he's going to judge them. We see Jeremiah doing this in chapter 19. I'm not going to read it, but um, throughout the book of Jeremiah, you see the prophets sort of act out these living parables. It's kind of a, a unique thing that Jeremiah does. And in chapter 19, the Lord instructs him to buy a clay jar and break it in front of the people and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty is going to do to you. He's going to break your nation to pieces because of your sin. That's chapter 19. So, as you, can, as you can see just from this little preview there, Jeremiah had a really a really tough job. His commission was not at all an enviable one. The words God called him to speak were difficult words. And as we'll see, he'd suffer for proclaiming them. Interestingly enough, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Maybe you've heard that nickname ascribed to him before. Uh, The reason for that is because, perhaps more than any other prophet, Jeremiah is, is emotionally bound up with the message he proclaims. And that's evident as you read this book. It's not that the other prophets aren't putting emotion into their prophecy, but there's something about Jeremiah that is just emotionally intense. We see him feeling the agony of the people. At the thought of the approaching Babylonians, this is chapter 419, okay? Just, just listen to him. He's speaking on behalf of the people. Oh, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart. My heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent, for I've heard the sound of the trumpet. I've heard the battle cry. He's, he's thinking about this impending invasion by the Babylonians, and he's, just, he's, he's in anguish. He's writhing in pain at the thought of the Babylonian army conquering the people of Judah. We also see Jeremiah sort of grieving over the sins he witnesses in Judah. Eight, chapter 8, verse 21 and following. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Right, he, He's grieving over the sin he witnesses in Judah. And we see, we see Jeremiah just simply overwhelmed by the great burden that he has to carry as a prophet. This is chapter 15, verse 10. Chapter 15, verse 10. Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor bar- borrowed, yet everyone Curses me, right? He's just, he's overwhelmed by the great burden he carries as a prophet. He has to proclaim this unpopular message. Nobody wants to hear it, right? Everybody is really contending with him. Everyone is cursing him for the words he speaks. And he's just, he's just a wreck, right? My mother, that you gave me birth. Why? Right? And so he's, He's emotionally bound up with the, with the thought of the approaching Babylonians. He's emotionally bound up as he witnesses the sins of Judah. He's emotionally bound up in this burden that he carries as a prophet, and, 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 and that's why his name is the Weeping Prophet, because he just appears over and over again throughout the book to be in agony for a whole host of reasons. Let me give you just a, a brief outline of the book um, Again, it's the longest book by word, word count in the Bible. Uh, it can be divided up into four major parts, okay? Section 1 through 25, or <laughs> section 1 consists of chapters 1 through 25, what I was trying to say. And here we see various oracles and these kind of um, living parables which Jeremiah acts out, all of which proclaim a message of, of impending judgment, Against Judah and Jerusalem. An example might be in Jeremiah 18, verse 11, sort of encapsulates this section. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says Look, I'm preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they're going to reply, the Lord says to Jeremiah, It's no use. We'll continue with our plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. That kind of that's the tone and the tenor and the message that Jeremiah brings through much of the first 25 chapters. Section 2 then is chapters 26 through 36. And in these chapters we see narratives which ultimately hold out this prospect of hope for the future. So in chapters 1 through 25, Jeremiah basically says, "Yes, God is going to bring judgment on his rebellious people for their sin. He's going to allow them to be carried off into Babylon, but that's not the end of the story. No, there is hope beyond these dark clouds that are on the horizon. So, so chapters twenty-six through thirty-six, this is a message of hope. That there is hope beyond the Babylonian exile. Jeremiah twenty-nine, ten and eleven is actually spoken in this context, right? These are words that we um, are very familiar with. Most people who, who recite these words have no idea. I don't think the context in which they're spoken. But it's in this context that that we read this. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's spoken in this context of 70 years of impending judgment in Babylon. And the Lord says, listen, right? Um, That's not the end of the story. My plans, my ultimate grand plans are to prosper you, not to harm you. They're to give you a hope and a future. It's in that context He speaks those words. Section 3, then, is chapters 37 through 45. Here we have a series of narratives which describe the events which fulfilled the prophecies of section 1. So in section 1, we have these prophecies about judgment against Judah and Jerusalem. In section 3, we actually read about many of these prophecies already being fulfilled in Jeremiah's life. You can see this in chapter 39, which begins with these words, this is how Jerusalem was taken. Jeremiah said it was going to be taken. We see chapter 39, this is how Jerusalem was taken. This is the prophecy of Jeremiah already coming to pass. And then section 4 consists of chapters 46 through 51, and and here Jeremiah proclaims judgments uh, against the nations surrounding Israel. He makes it clear that although God used some of these nations to judge his own people, these nations aren't getting off the hook either. Ultimately, the Babylonians and the Egyptians and the Moabites and the number of nations mentioned in this part, they are against God. They're going to get what they deserve. And then the last chapter, chapter 52, is just kind of an epilogue which brings the book to a close. What are some, some primary themes of the book of Jeremiah um, well, again, it's a long book. You could think of a number of themes, but let me just give you three quickly. Uh, one is the sovereignty of God. One is the sovereignty of God. We see this throughout the book. One place we see it clearly is Jeremiah 1.5. Jeremiah 1.5. This is part of Jeremiah's call into ministry. Listen to what the Lord says to him. Another familiar verse. "'Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart.'" I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. It's a remarkable verse. Certainly it testifies to the value of human life in the womb, right? Certainly. But God says, Jeremiah, I I had a plan for your life before you were born. I had a plan for your life before before I even formed you in the womb. That's what he says to the prophet. And it reminds us, I think, it reminds us, no doubt, that God, God actually has a plan for our lives, Our lives are not just a a mass of random events. No, God has a plan. He is sovereign over our lives. Our lives are in His hands. We see a sovereignty also in that He both both raises up Babylon to bring judgment against His people for their sin, but then cast Babylon down as well. Babylon is like, like putty in His hands. This is Jeremiah 25 Verses 7 through 12, "'But you didn't listen to me,' declares the Lord. "'And you have provoked me with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, "'Because you haven't listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations.'" I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and score and everlasting ruin. But then go down to verse 12, but when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, and I will make it desolate forever. So, there in that passage, we see the Lord sovereignly raising up Babylon to bring judgment against His people, but then we see Him also casting Babylon down for their guilt, right? He's sovereign over the nations of the world. He he uses them to fulfill His purposes. A second theme throughout the book of Jeremiah is the justice of God. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, it is clear that God will not leave the guilty unpunished. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. This is true, first off, for the people living in Judah, His own people. Peter says judgment begins in the house of God, and the book of Jeremiah testifies to this truth. We see this over and over and over again throughout the book. Jeremiah 14:10. This is what the Lord says about His people. They greatly love to wander. They do not restrain their feet, so the Lord does not accept them. He will now remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Jeremiah 16:10: When you tell these people all this and they ask you, "Why has the Lord decreed such a great disaster against us, what wrong have we done? What sin have we committed? Then say to them, it's because your fathers forsook me and followed other gods and served and worshipped them. They forsook me and did not keep my law, but you have behaved even more wickedly than your fathers. And then Jeremiah 22, 4. For if you're careful to carry out these commands, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this palace, riding in char- chariots and on horses accompanied by their officials and their people. But if you do not obey these commands, declares the Lord, I swear by myself that this palace will become a ruin, okay? God will not let the guilty go unpunished. His people have sinned, and there will be consequences. But again, God won't only judge Judah for her sins. He'll also judge the surrounding nations for theirs. This is seen clearly at the end of the book, chapters 46 through 51. A third theme of the book, then, is the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Although we see God's mercy scattered throughout the book, it's most clearly seen in chapters 29 through 33. In chapter 29, the Lord says to his people, we, we looked at this a moment ago, yes, you will be carried off to Babylon. Yes, you will reside there for 70 years, but when the 70 years are complete, I will bring you back. I will not, I will not harm you, but I will prosper you. I, ha- I have plans to give you a hope and a future. There's, those words are dripping with mercy in this context. They're going to be punished for their sin, but they're not going to be punished to the full extent that their sins deserve. Chapter thirty, verse three The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their forefathers. And then in chapter thirty one he promises that new covenant, which we've read about on several occasions already. I don't think I need to remember it again, but he promises he promises that there will be a new covenant. And by this covenant, he will be their God and they will be his people. And then in chapter 32, another living parable, another great story. God has Jeremiah buy a field as a sort of guarantee that his people would return to the promised land. It's almost like he says to Jeremiah, hey, hey, I want the people to believe me, and in order that they might believe me, I want you to buy this field. And then when they see you buying this field as a prophet of mine, they'll know that, you know, you have plans of coming back here. If you weren't ever coming back here, this field would be of no use to you. So he has Jeremiah by this field, this sort of this down payment, this deposit that God's people will return from Babylon. And so, so the mercy of God too is is very um, noticeable throughout this book. Both both he's both just and he's both merciful, all at the same time to his people. Let's move on to our second to last point. We're moving quickly. We'll be done by seven. I promise. The Christ focus. How do we see Jesus? How do we see Jesus in the book of Jeremiah? Well, I think Jeremiah is a type of Christ, for sure. There's some things he does which parallel Christ's own ministry. We see him weeping for the people. We see Jesus weeping for the people. We see Jeremiah getting upset at those who use the temple sort of as a place of business. And then we know Jesus did the same thing. But undoubtedly, the promise of redemption and the idea of a new covenant that's set forth in chapters 29 through 33, it comes into focus through the ministry of our Lord Jesus. We see this foreshadowed in Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So we sort of see the Lord Jesus foreshadowed there in that prophecy. And then if we turn to the New Testament, and you don't have to, if you don't want to, you can just listen, Luke 22, 20, it sort of all comes to a a head there. Jesus is eating the last supper with his disciples. And Luke says, in the same way after supper, he, that is Jesus, took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So Jeremiah prophesied about a new covenant that God would make with his people. And the Lord Jesus says, this new covenant that was spoken about long ago, that would secure the relationship between God and his people forever, it is ratified by my blood. So you look at the promises, especially in Jeremiah 29 through 33, Um, and we see them really coming to pass through through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we might say it's by the blood of our Lord Jesus, ultimately, that the Lord would remember our sins no more. It's by the blood of the Lord Jesus, ultimately, that the Lord would write His law upon our hearts. It's by the blood of the Lord Jesus that He prospers us, that He gives us a hope and a future. It's by the blood of Jesus that He ransoms Jacob from the hand of those who are stronger than they. By the blood of Jesus, that God turns our mourning into gladness and gives us comfort and joy instead of sorrow. All of these things are promised by the prophet to the people of God. All of them find their focus through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lived the obedient life that the people in Jeremiah's day hadn't, and He died the sin cursed death that the people of Jeremiah's day and our own day deserve. Finally, then, a contemporary application. One thing we learn from Jeremiah is the same thing we learned from John the Baptist. We looked at John the Baptist and his death at Prosper here this morning. But it's that serving God faithfully is not easy, and it will not make you popular. Jeremiah was called by God to proclaim a difficult message of judgment that the people of Judah did not want to hear. And as Jeremiah proclaimed this difficult message, several things happened. First, he was opposed by false prophets. Jeremiah 6:12 and 13, from the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace they say, when there is no peace. So, Jeremiah is proclaiming this message of judgment. He's saying, There's no peace. You must repent. Meanwhile, all these other guys are saying, It's all good. God loves you just the way you are. Peace be upon you. you know, that sure makes a preacher's job difficult. We see that today, I think. And I've, I've actually experienced this in regards to specifically uh, same sex relationships, right? There are churches and pastors who are proclaiming peace, peace, even in our own denomination down in Grand Rapids, peace, peace to people in same-sex relationships when there is no peace. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't make that up. I'm reciting scripture, right? And all the while, we as pastors who hold the God's word, we, we, we call these folks to repentance and someone else is saying, no, you're good, don't worry about it really up against it. Well, Jeremiah was up against the same sort of thing in his day. There's nothing new under the sun. Jeremiah is saying, you have no peace. Repent. And other prophets are going, no, you're good. Just the w- God loves you just the way you are. It's all good. You see this in Jeremiah 28 as well. There's prophets proclaiming peace. His name's Hananiah, and you can read about that if you want on your own. I told you we've done by seven. I got to kick it in gear here. Um, Jeremiah wasn't only opposed by false prophets, he was, also, he was also threatened with death. You'll see this in chapter six, uh, chapter 26, excuse me, 7 through 9. The priests, the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, as soon as he, did you get that? As soon as he finished telling the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests and prophets seized him and said, you must die. So, like when I craft a sermon and God puts something on my heart and I say it to you, and you come and say, You must die. I'm like, That is a raw deal. That's what happened to Jeremiah. You must die. He's threatened with death simply for saying what the Lord told him to say. Uh, he was also persecuted. Jeremiah 21. 20 verse 1, excuse me, when the priest Pashur, son of Emur, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Okay, that's just a snippet right there of the sorts of things Jeremiah was up against. That's just a snippet of what he endured in his ministry. But that's where faithful ministry were very often get you, in stocks, beat up, threatened with death. Confronted by false prophets who don't like what you say and just tickle people's ears. But doing the Lord's work is not easy. Right? And it might not make you popular. Yet God calls us to do it no matter the cost. One of the most powerful passages in Jeremiah is Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. I'm going to close with this. Jeremiah chapter 20, 7 through 9. Jeremiah is weary. This is right after he gets beat up by and locked in stocks. He's weary from the difficulty of this task the Lord has given him. Weary from the opposition he's faced, he says this to the Lord. Oh, Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention him, or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The prophet says, Lord, this work you've given me to do is hard, and it causes me great suffering. But no matter how hard I try, I can't not do it. I can't not do it. For your word is in my heart like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Isn't that the mark of a true believer? Isn't that the mark of one who knows the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? No matter the cost, no matter the difficulty, he or she just can't not serve the Lord. How I hope you know that struggle of trying to refrain from serving the Lord because the cost is too great, but of being unable to because his word, his gospel, his salvation, his love is in your heart like a fire, and you just can't keep it in. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for men of old, like Jeremiah, who proclaimed your word even when it was unpopular, and even when he suffered greatly for doing it. We praise you for his testimony that no matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't keep it in, because it was like fire in his bones. Lord, we want to be like him people who are so in love with you, so compelled by your grace that we just cannot keep it in. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, We're going to close by singing Jerusalem the Golden. How's that sound, Carl? Why don't you stand for the parting blessing and then we'll sing together. people of God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen. Number 618 in the gray, the gray hymnal 618. We're just going to sing verses 1 and 4, Carlene. 1 and 4 of 618.